Hi, welcome to BC Online Service. So glad that you can join us. Today, I have a very important word for every one of us. Last two weeks, pastor have taught us how we can defend the scripture. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about how can we discern God's word with a readiness mindset. Study with due diligence so that we can be ready to defend the scripture. And the Bible tells us of a remarkable group of people famously known today as the Berean Christian. These believers live in a place called Berea. And they possess a remarkable character that each and every one of us today must have. Who are they and what can we learn from them? The Berean are a shining example of faithfulness of, to the word of God. And give us a great inspiration on how we should treat the scriptures. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer, shall we? And we're going to ask the Lord to open our mind and our heart to His word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you this morning. We pray that we will pay close attention to your word this morning and not to be easily distracted. We ask that you will do a work in our heart as we listen to your word. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your word. We commit this time to your hand. May your presence be with us, Lord. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are only five verses in the scripture dedicated to the Bereans. They have a minor role in the whole of the Bible, but their testimony is dynamic. Let's examine and see what their role is and gain some insight on how we should study and treat the Word of God. The account of the Berean can be found in Acts chapter 17, verse 10 to 15. And there's a story about a young man who was walking around a supermarket and everywhere he went, an old man seemed to be shadowing him. Finally, he went to the checkout line. But the old man got in line in front of him. The old man said, Excuse me, sir. If my staring at you have made you feel uncomfortable, it's just that you just look like my son who have died recently. The young man replied, Sir, I'm very sorry. Is there anything that I can do for you? The old man replied, Yes. As I'm leaving the store, can you just wave and say goodbye, Dad, to me? It will sure make me feel so better. The young man answered, Sure. Moment later, as the old man was leaving, the young man waved and said with a loud voice, Goodbye, Dad. Then as he stepped up to pay for his glossary, he was shocked to find that it was $298. He asked the cashier, how can that be? He asked, I only purchased a few things. The cashier answered, your dad said that you're going to pay for his too. Scam, fake news, lies are everywhere, right? How can we not let all this distort and deceive our belief? And we're going to find out from Acts chapter 17 about the Bereans' attitude and action towards God's word that can help us not to be easily deceived. Acts chapter 17. And before we continue 
with what took place in Berea, it is worth the time for us to understand what happened leading up to this event. Paul and Silas has been visiting and preaching the gospel in the city of Thessalonica. However, their message was not met with enthusiasm from the Jews in the city. In Acts chapter 17, verse 5, let's turn to the scripture. It says, But the other Jews were jealous as they round up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search for Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Here, the Jews were upset and jealous because they were losing the religious war that was going on between them and the Christians. This was not literally a physical war, but a war of ideas which, which led to the persecution of the Christian. And if you recall, until this is his conversion, Paul's conversion, Paul was one of these Jewish persecutors. And it must be even more annoying to the Jews that found that found Paul himself was now proclaiming the very gospel that he has saw to destroy. So they got some bad characters as the NIV put it. And the New America Standard is more forceful in saying that those were wicked men. The New King James Version said that they were wicked men. These men were morally worthless. And they were now after Paul and Silas. So both of them had to get out of Thessalonica as quickly as possible. And in verse 10, we see that the believers were able to get Paul and Silas out of the city. Acts chapter 17 verse 10, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. One of the things to take note is that regularly Paul's first stop in a city was always the synagogue. It was not to agitate the Jews, though that was certainly a result, but rather Paul himself was a Jew and felt the need to reach out to God's chosen people and his own people. His heart burned for the Jews to see them coming to Christ after he himself with a dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. You know, today my sermon title is Discerning God's Word with a Readiness of Mind. What attitude that the Bereans have that entail a readiness of mind towards the scripture? And we're going to learn that this morning. First, the attitude of the Bereans towards the scripture. The passage show us a different kind of Jews. It tells us something very interesting about the Jew in Berea and explain that there was a big contrast from the Berean's attitude versus the Jews in Thessalonica. Let's read this verse together and it's today's key verse. Let's all memorize this verse. And I would like you to take note of the key ingredient that makes the Berean, Bereans outstanding. Acts chapter 17, verse 11 to 12. We're going to read from the King James Version. Those were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Underline more noble. 
in that they receive the word with all readiness of mind. Underline that. And search the scripture daily. Underline daily. Whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believe also of honorable women who were Greek and of men, not a few. Amen. You see, note the Berea. Note that Berea was neighbor to the Jews in Thessalonica. But the passage states that the Berean Jews were more noble character than their neighboring Jews in Thessalonica. More noble. You see, the Jews in Thessalonica did not want to hear what Paul and Silas had to say. They shut them out before they could even begin. But Berea, they were noble and open-minded to the gospel. It said in the scripture that they had a noble character. What does it mean to be noble? Is it someone who is smart? Someone with a royal lineage? Or is it someone who is honest? Many non-Christians are also smart, honest, and do good things. But this thing doesn't make you noble. According to the Greek word, it is described as those of a generous spirit who are open-minded towards truth, not hostile or suspicious of others, but give others a fair hearing. You see, the Bereans are considered as noble because they listen to the preaching of the gospel with an open heart as they pursue God and His whole truth. It said that they receive the message with all readiness. In other words, they are willing to learn and happy to listen to what Paul had to say. And they were excited about it. They wanted to hear what this highly trained man of the scripture, Paul, had to say about the possibility that their Messiah had actually come. They put aside the know-it-all attitude. You see, Berean believers don't just let their tradition stand in the way of being open to clear teaching of the Word of God. And lots of believers immediately reject that which is contrary to their tradition. That is exactly the kind of attitude that turns the Jews in Thessalonica from Paul and Silas. The Jews in Thessalonica had a close mindset. They thought that they knew what the truth was and what Paul and Silas were preaching were completely nonsense. And this is one of the common blockage to learning. It's failure to know what one needs to know. Let me share from the scripture, God opposed the proud who thinks they know it all. The second attitude that the Bereans have that entail a readiness of mindset towards the scripture is their enthusiasm and eagerness. And when Paul stood and preached Jesus as Christ to those in the synagogue, the Bereans listened intently. But even with the enthusiasm and this eagerness and this excited longing to hear what Paul had to say, they did not take what he said for granted. And we're going to share more later. But let me share with you, you know, it's something it always amazed me, talking about enthusiasm and eagerness. How full of anticipation 
We could be about certain things in life, whether is it a football game or an overseas trip that we are about to embark on. I know we can't travel right now. Probably a concert. If it's something, if it's something that we are interested in, we will well make all effort. Maybe do some research, buy a program, and we want to study all the whys and what. And when we are genuinely loving the thing that we are interested in, we will love all the detail. You talk about the specific. You would like to replace certain action or certain things in your mind. And some of you have this phenomenal ability to recall a place or a play that was maybe 20 years ago. And you can tell me all about it. It's all in your mind because it's something that you love and you're interested about. My question is, I wonder how, of you, how many of you come online today with the expectation that God was going to speak to us. Perhaps attending church service has become a mere, merely a habit and so little thought is given to why we are here. We need to come into this place with the expectation that God will speak to us. Every Sunday we come we need to come with, a, with an eagerness of mind and with an openness of heart to hear what God will say. If these qualities are cultivated by us, they will place us in the position where we can hear the word of God. And when we pray and when we read for God to speak to us, the sense of anticipation and the expectancy will come alive in our hearts so that like the Bereans, we will receive the word with eagerness. Amen? But here's the rub. If you and I are not reading the Bible on a regular basis, we will never know its truth. And according to a research group survey done, it said that less than 50% of people open this book, the Bible, in a given week. 50%. And 82% think that God helped those who help themselves is directly from the Bible. Do you think so? And 63% cannot name the four Gospels. 58% do not know that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And 52% do not know the book of Jonah is in the Bible. And there is a religious woman who had to do a lot of flying for her uh, because of her work and air travel make her extremely nervous so she will always take a Bible along with her and she will read it on, in a plane uh, uh, and, and, and also study the Bible that will make her relax on a long flight and one time she found herself sitting next to a man who is cocky and smeared when she pulled out her Bible and after a while he turned to her and said hey do you really believe in all that stuff, do you? The, 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 the lady replied, of course I do, it is the Bible. Well, what about the guy who's swallowed by the big fish? He asked. And the lady replied, oh Jonah, yes, I believe that it is in the Bible. Still smirking, the man asked, well, how do you suppose he survived all that time inside that big fish? The lady replied, well, I really don't know. I guess when I get up to heaven, I'll ask him. The man replied, what if he isn't in heaven? 
the lady answered, Then you can ask him. This lady received Bible as the word of God and every part of it. She is devoted to it just like the believers in the early church and just like the believers in Berea. You see, Berean believers cannot be persuaded by a great worship team and a very emotional or dynamic preacher. This Berean won't contend with the word of man. The, the reasoning of man was not enough for them. They wanted a sure word, a more sure word. They must be convinced by the word of God. They wanted a thus say the Lord. And if it said to them, that they search the scripture daily to see whether what they were being taught was true or not. What does it mean? You know, the, the Berean, they went back and they searched and they examined the scripture to see what Paul was telling them was true. And we were told that they did it daily. Just as the Israelites had to gather manna daily, so it is the duty and privilege of Christians to study the Word of God every day. To examine something means to scrutinize, to give detail, analyze, to discover the essential meaning and the core of what was being said and to find the truth. In King James, it said, they search the scriptures. The literal translation of the word is that they sift the scriptures. Amen? The action of the Berean towards the scripture. Just now I talk about the attitude. Now I'm going to talk about the action. As we have I've mentioned briefly, that the Berean didn't just hear the word that Paul gave and accept it like a mindless sponge. They took it seriously. They did not want to appear gullible. You know, gullible is defined as easily cheated or tricked. While some people, they are gullible to the extent of accepting almost everything that is taught to them. We should be of a mind to investigate and to then make the proper investigation as the Berean did and search the scripture daily, whether this thing was so. So many of us today are content to accept many, most anything. In so doing, you know, we are not like the Berean. The message that Paul preached was too big to just believe at first word, just because it sounded good. They did not just want something that sounded good. They wanted the truth and they wanted to be sure what was being told to them was truth. They did not want to be misled to worship a false Messiah. They had to be sure that it was true. You see, the Jews were serious about the study of the scripture. They searched the scripture daily to avoid being deceived. Church, you know, we are living in this time where there are so many messages all day long. You heard so much noise, so much lie nowadays. There is an article in Fake News and Hard Truth. It is mentioned in the report that fake news in Google search. If you search fake news in Google, you will find that there is 1.48 billion results. Wow, and 300 and 380 million for Jesus Christ. 
Well, there's a lot of fake news, you know. That's why we need the Word of God. Because people will lie to you. So many people are going to lie to you throughout your lifetime. And even people who are sit, who sit in church services will lie to you and tell you what you want to hear. And unless you know the scripture, you know the scripture, and you read it over and over and over again, you are not going to be able to tell who is lying to you. You know, that day I was reading First King, and there's this incredible story that, that spells about this. Here's a story I read in First King chapter 13. Great story. First King chapter 13, verse 7. Let me read to you. This young prophet who prophesied the king, and, and, and then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me for a meal and I will give you a gift. And this man of God goes, No, 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 no. Even if you were to give me half of your possession, I will not go with you. Nor will I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord that you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. Then, listen to this, in verse 15, the old prophet, an old prophet appeared to the man later on and said to the man of God, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, the, the, the young prophet said, no, 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 I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord that you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. The young prophet was very sure of what the word of God is and he stand by it. But then, the old prophet, he goes, told the young prophet, I am also a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with me into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. But he lied to him. So the man of God went back with the old prophet and eat bread in his house and drink water as they sat at the table. The word of the Lord came to the man of God. Thus said the Lord, because you disobey the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you and you come back in here and eat bread and drink water in the place where the Lord said you shall not eat or drink. And after, after the man of God had eaten bread and drank, he saddened up on his donkey and he went away. And along the way, a lion met him and on the road and killed him. As I read this story, I thought, oh man, that's bad. I mean, here is a man of God who hears from the from the Lord himself, but there, there came another prophet come along and deceive him. There's this deception and, 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 and it gets worse. Let's, let's take a look at another uh, story in 1st King chapter 22 further down. If you look at 1st King chapter 22, the king is looking into these prophets. You know, he gathered all the prophets and he said, What did God say? What did God say? The king wanted to hear from the prophet. And in 1st King chapter 22, verse 6, King Ahab, the king of Israel, gathers the prophets, is asked, and asked the prophet, 
uh, it says in verse 6, So the king of Israel brought, to get, brought together the prophets, about 400 men, 400 prophets, and asked them, What did God say about this battle? Shall we go and fight? Shall I go to war with the enemy? All the 400 prophets told him, Go, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, in verse 8, said, King of Israel, is there another prophet of the Lord whom we can inquire of? And King Ahab replied, There is still one prophet, though, whom we can inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, because he never prophesies anything good about me, and always bad. He's Micaiah, sad son of Ibmah. Wow! Listen, you know, there are 400 prophets say, you know, I would like every one of us to picture this. All of the prophets in one place saying, same thing, go to war, go to war. And the king goes, okay, is there anyone else here? Is there anyone else here that we can inquire? And he goes, there's still one more man, but I hate him. He never said anything good about me. And they bring in Micaiah in. And they, 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 they go and they brought Micaiah in. And they ask Micaiah, hey, Micaiah, are we, going to, uh, can we, uh, are we going to win? Are we going to win? And he goes, yeah, we are going to win. And they go again, seriously? And he goes, nah, you're all going to die. You're all going to die. And King Ahab say, see, I told you, I hate this guy. Why can't he just go with everyone else? And then Micaiah goes, I tell you something. These 400 guys right here, they are all lying. I'm the only one guy that's telling the truth, but no one is going to believe me. And when I was reading this in my mind, I was asking myself after reading this, God, could I do that? Am I willing to just say whatever and stand on your word? Do I know your word well enough that I can look at something and say it's a lie? Church, can you do that? Or do you just trust and listen? Yeah, I get very concerned that more and more people are disbelieving this book and they are not taking the obvious teaching of this book, the Bible. You know, I think of King Ahab said to Micaiah, I hate this guy, that guy. He never said what I want to hear. He hate the guy because he never say what I want to hear. And that reminds me of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. Paul said this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desire, they will gather around them with a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Look, church, the day is coming. When people will not pay attention to sound doctrine, 
they are going they are going to go to try to find people to tell them what they want to hear church you may be already doing this where you have a desire in your heart where your where you have whenever you have a desire in your heart you know if if you have a desire something you want to do do you know that you can justify it with this bible you can justify just about anything with this book if you work hard enough you know and uh, uh, why because you if you want something and you can find some verse in the bible and you twist it even though that's not the natural reading of the scripture you can twist it to your liking and church we need to be careful with our own heart it's just like one time, you know, my daughter, when she was like five years old, she wanted to eat ice cream at eight o'clock at night when she's about to go to sleep. I say, of course, no. And I'm sure after eating the ice cream, the sugar rush will cause him to be unable to sleep. You will stay awake and then you will go to the bed late and you'll be tired. And tomorrow you wake up, he's going to be tired. And she goes there. Don't you understand? If I eat the ice cream, I will be so happy. And when I go to bed, that means that when I wake up, I will still be happy. I was like, that's pretty good, you know. But at the time, does she care about the truth? No, she, just was, she was just fighting for what she wanted. And so often that happened in the church. We don't really want to know what this book says. We just want to use it to justify what we want. And I'm so concerned about this. It's like God told the people of Noah's day, it's going to flood. I'm going to flood the place and I'm going to cause rain to come for 40 days. And I bet that there will be preachers in that day that goes, come on, really? Does, does he really mean a literal flood, like raining coming down from heaven and flood us all? I mean, Noah probably means in a figurative. I mean, we are in flood every day. I believe in a flood, but you, are you talking about a literal one? And then what happened? The whole world gets flooded. Everyone dies. And I bet you there's preacher in Egypt goes, come on, a loving God is going to kill the firstborn of every house. Okay, what kind of loving God will kill the firstborn of every house of Egypt just because of something that Pharaoh did? No loving God will do that. And then you see the children dying and the ones pass over who believe in the blood of the Lamb. I bet there are preachers in Sodom goes, come on, what is he going to do? Send fire down from sky and burn us all? God's going to do that? Church, when I read Revelation, it says that there is a real literal lake of fire where beasts and the false prophet are thrown and anyone whose name is not written in the book of life, they will be thrown into the pit of fire. And we all don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. I believe that it's literal. And I believe it because even from the beginning, remember? From Genesis, when remember when Adam and Eve sinned, what does, the, what does Satan say? He lured them in and said, Did God really say you're going to die? Did God really say that? Okay, what are you going to do? Live for a few years and you die? You think you're literally going to die? Satan said that. 
You know, we choose to believe that our God is a, a God of love only. He's not a holy God. He's not a God of wrath. And sometimes we take God's word and we try to beautify everything that we, 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 we know. You know, like, you know, when we take the story of Noah's son, we go, gosh, it's so beautiful. And it's painted, you know, in a, sinner, a, a nursery. When you go to the nursery, there's this beautiful picture that's painted of Noah's son. When you grow up and there's these two giraffes sticking their head out of the window. So cute, the cute little elephant. So adorable. And everyone is happy. But any of this painting, does it show that the millions of people drowning? No, I, I don't see painting of millions of people drowning. I've never seen such that. We, we forget there's a story about the earth was so corrupted in God's sight. And the earth, that this is a story that was the earth was filled with violence, that God destroyed all men on earth. And that's consistent with His nature. You no need to be a rocket scientist to understand all this. It doesn't seem that complicated. Sure, there are passages that are difficult to understand. And there are certain things that we need to reconcile here. But the majority of it is an obvious teaching. Right here, in this black and white. Like this is how we should ought to live. And if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Church, we need to read this book and live by it. Just get along and alone with the Bible daily and trust the Holy Spirit of God that the Holy Spirit of God will speak to you. He will open your eyes to the truth of God. Amen. And the Berean was like the blessed man in Psalms 1 whose delight is in the law of the Lord and in His law they meditate day and night. They pour over the Bible, comparing Scripture with Scripture, evaluating the word that they heard from the Apostle by the absolute counsel of God's Word. And that is precisely what we need to do today. What about you? Do you welcome the message of the Gospel as the Berean did? Do you study it daily with passion enthusiasm, zeal, delight, and hunger. What we see here is a strong statement for the doctrine of the priesthood of believer. Everyone can hear directly from God through His Word. You see, it doesn't take a, a theologian to interpret the Word of God for you. God has given each and every one of us the Holy Spirit to help us to understand it and to apply it. Amen? How should you read the Bible? Here's another way to look at how to become fully devoted to instruction from God's Word. Three things. First, we need to first of all get the Bible into our head. Then, we need to get it into our heart. And finally, we need to make sure it gets lived out through our hands. That's exactly what the Bereans did. You know, we, we get the Bible into our head by getting into it. The words stay in our hearts when we let it get into us. And it flash out in our daily life through our hands when we live it out 
obediently. Amen? Information about the Bible cannot just stay on our head. It's a good start, but it can't stay there. We, we must move from information to inward transformation, which takes place in our heart. And, and this inward transformation that will lead to outwards reformation as we determine to live it out. What we know in our head and what we believe in our hearts. The Bible is not just a textbook to be studied. It is God's, is what God used to change our hearts and lives. Amen? Give me, uh, let me give you some, some steps that will help you in these three areas. First, get into the Bible. Get it into your head. You know, the people read the Bible in many ways, in different ways. Some people, I know, treat, treat it like a do- dose of medicine. They say 12 verses a day keeps the devil away. So they read their little portion of 12 verses every day. And other people read it as a horoscope and hoping that they read, if, you know, as they read, something would jump out of the page for them on that day. And there is another what we call the lucky deep Bible reading. Anyone know this uh, method? Uh, do you know what is that? You know, it's like you open the Bible and you go, Doop! and then wherever your, le- your finger land on the verse and you read. You know, there's someone who do that and when his finger land on the verse, he said that uh, Judas went in and hung himself and then he, huh, and he hurriedly turned to another bit of the Bible and he put his finger down and he goes and he read, he goes, he said, go and do likewise. <laughs> I hope you don't do lucky deep. Many just pick a verse or two at random and just read it. Hope that you will make sense for them. And there is a father who said to a young man, he said, How dare you! I finally caught you hugging my daughter so tightly. And the young man said, oh, I was just carrying out the scripture in to what is good. You see, the danger of out of context in interpretation when you do that. So, what is the best way to get the Bible into your head? Is to look for ways to be exposed daily to its truth. And the primary way of this to happen is by reading the Bible every day and reading it book by book, cover to cover. If you are going to read the Bible book by book, if you are not going to read the Bible book by book, how will you read it? How are you going to read it well? If you just read a bit of here, a bit of there, big at pieces. Right? And there's really no other way for this to happen. Most of you hear this many times before, and I don't know how else to get it into our head that we must get into the Word. Get into the Word, book by book, cover to cover. You, you also might want to follow a reading plan or use a Bible that is arranged in a daily reading to help you through the entire Bible in one year. If you read three chapters on weekdays, five chapters on Sundays, you'll finish in one year. George Mueller, the man who started a number of orphanages, made a tremendous kingdom impact in his life. You know, he read through the entire Bible 200 times in his life. Wow! First, 
get into your head by reading the Bible daily, book by book, cover to cover. Second, getting into your heart. See, the challenge is to move from the head to the heart. You see, we can get so familiar with the scripture that it's no longer impacting us. And in order for inner transformation to take place, we must seek ways to allow the Word of God to get into us. One way that can help us to get the Word into our heart is through meditation and journaling. Meditation. How does meditation look like? And you can use this simple method called the six wise method. Who, what, where, how, why, and when. That these six questions are essential in information gathering. You know, my son somehow learned this question and will quickly fire at me when he doesn't understand an instruction I give. So what are these questions? Who, what, when, where, why, and how? How does this have to do with Bible study? Everything. You see, asking this question when reading a passage in uh, in the Bible, are essential in unpacking the meaning of a passage. The, this will aid you in helping you to dip deeper into the Scripture, live, living, having a deeper understanding and a better understanding of what you read. William Barclay once said, that it is only when truth is discovered that is, that is taken into yourself. When a man is simply told the truth, it remains outside him and he can easily forget. When he is led to discover the truth himself, it becomes a part of him and he never forgets. It's so true. So, first question you ask, ask who? To find out who the passage was originally written to, who wrote the passage, and who are you reading about. Next, ask what. To determine what the author is talking about and what is the main point of the passage. Ask when. To learn when was this passage written and when the event that is talking about did and will happen. And when the people written about in the story did something. Ask where. To help you understand where did the story take place? Where was the author writing from? And where did the people in the passage go? And where is this passage placed in the book you're reading as well as the overall story of scripture? Ask why. To figure out why the author said something. Why did certain characters in the Bible did something and why the passage is there. Ask how to discover how was something accomplished, how is something to be done and how did the people in the passage respond. And if you have a marker with you whenever you do meditation, it will be helpful to, to, to mark it with a different color in who, why, when, where, when and how. Keep a journal and document your answer in this question as you study. Before you know it, asking this question will become a second nature in your Bible study time. Now, let's go from information to inward transformation to outward reformation.
living it out with our hands. Church, let me say this bluntly. God gave us the Bible not just so that we can feel our heads or even our hearts. He wants us to ultimately take what He has written and to live it out. And as we do, we will be known not only as people who honour the Bible, but also as people who live by the work of God. The goal is to take the word of God seriously and to do what it says. It means application is important. You see, application doesn't happen by accident. We have to plan for it or it will never come about. And good applications are possible if we first meditate by using what I've shared just now, the six wise men technique. And then follow by writing down your application. We call it journaling. Writing down your application helps you to be specific. If you can't put it down on paper, you haven't really thought it through. So four factors to help you to write out a good application. Number one, your application should be personal. Write it in the first person. Use personal pronouns like I, me, my, or my throughout. The question you should ask is, what does God want me to understand or think? For example, from 1 Kings 13 passage that I have read and I have written out the following application. Halfway obedient is not acceptable to God. I must obey fully. A second Application is no matter who said it, it is always necessary that I test everything was, that was said by the word of the Lord. It, next question to ask is, what does God want me to believe? For the example of 1 Kings chapter 13, there are many false prophets who will lie unless I know the scriptures. I may not going to be able to tell who is lying to me unless I know the scripture. The third question that you ask is, what does God want me to desire? From the example of 1 Kings chapter 13, is that I need to have the desire to know His words. The second important thing about application, writing an application is, your application should be practical, be specific, tangible. You know, it ought to be something that you can do. The question you should ask is, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? For example, from 1 Kings chapter 13, my application is, you know, I need to be trained and equipped to be ready to defend for the gospel. How? Maybe I need to read. And one of the books that I'm reading is Cold Case for Christ. And I'm committed also to read the word daily, specifically read three chapters a day. The, and lastly, the third thing in writing your application is, is it possible, the last P, possible, is realistic today or this week. It should be something you know you can accomplish, otherwise you will get discouraged. Question you need to ask is when to take action, starting Monday, 26th of October, 2020, for example. 
in your application, it is important that you set some sort of follow-up to check up on your success in doing so. It has to be measurable so that you will know that you have done it. In addition, record application for future use as well as present needs. And sometimes you may have application that does not apply to you at certain times. You write it down anyway for two reasons. The first reason is that application may be needed in the future when another situation comes in your life. The second reason that the application may help you to minister to someone else who is in that situation. Lastly, ask God for opportunity to apply what you have written down. And lastly, also memorize a key verse from your study. And this will help you to continue to meditate on the passage you are reading. Okay, I've explained to you how you can have a fruitful Bible study. First, read and then meditate. Third, journal down your application. And lastly, apply His Word. Please go and do likewise. Now, I would like to use these four objects to illustrate the truth. Do you know what these spoons are used for? Each one of them, you use it for a specific purpose. But I want to use these four spoons to tell you that many Christians are like these spoons when it gets to reading their Bibles. Let's start with this small one. This is a spoon used by my son when he was younger. But what do we adults use this spoon for? We use it to stir our coffee and tea. But many Christians are like this little spoon. They just take a little bit of God's word at a time. Just a little, just a spoonful. What do I mean by that? Maybe they just hear the word of God on Sunday when they go to church. And for many Christians, the only time they get some God's word is on Sunday at church. And during the week, they'll put their Bible aside in the cupboard. They never read their Bible. And they just take a bit of God's Word on Sunday. And for the rest of the week, they didn't eat God's Word at all. Some, so many Christians are like this little spoon. They just like later a small and small portion of God's Word once a week. And that's enough for them. But we get to the next spoon. This is one, it got hole. Can you see? You can see through this spoon that there, there are holes. Now, I can't take this spoon to scoop from a pot because there are holes in it. All the soup will go through this, isn't it? And this is, many Christians are like this spoon. They read the Bible, but they don't take anything in. Many Christians, they read God's Word, but they don't take time to boot. God's word into their heart. They don't let it sing into their heart. They don't take time to meditate on God's word. So although they may be reading, but they read it very quickly and put their Bible down after a short reading time. You know, the word is not getting into their heart. So it's just like this spoon where there are holes. It just keeps falling through. Nothing is happening to it. Let's move to the third one. The third spoon here is what we call uh, the wooden spoon. It's made 
of wood. We use it maybe to, uh, to fry food, to stir the food. Many Christians, they read God's word, but then after they read God's word, they say, I wouldn't believe this. You know, it's made of wood. I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't be able to put God's promise into practice. I wouldn't be able to trust God like this. So they don't believe that the word of God is for them. Or rather, they don't believe the whole word of God. They just read the word, but then certain part of the word, I say, I wouldn't be able to do this. I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to believe this. (sighs) But we get to the last spoon. What do we do with this spoon? Yes, we can take out soup and get a lot of soup with this spoon because it is a nice deep spoon. Yes, we can take out a lot of soup. And for Christian, we are to be like this. I want to take in God's word. So when they go to God's word, they read God's word, they take the truth for themselves and say, I believe this. I will do this. This is for me. I will do it and I will do it. Amen. And God wants us to be like this. Yes, because He wants us to dig into the word and to get lots of it and to make it our own. Amen. And I want to challenge all of you to be like this spoon to dig into God's word and will take all the truth for yourself and make it part of your life and start living the word of God. In closing, for today's message, what is God asking you to do this morning, church? Do you see any need for change? And readiness attitude towards reading the scripture, I would like every one of us to solidify your commitment for the, with the following four Ds. First, desire. Ask yourself, is it really important for me? And you have to make a decision today and set a goal and be determined. Be determined so that I will experience the victory in my devotional life. If not, why not? What must, be, what must be changed to experience victory at this time? And lastly, we need to be disciplined. What must I do to be effectively disciplined myself to be consistent? What action can I adopt to read daily? Just now I mentioned that if you read three chapters on weekdays, five chapters on Sunday, you will complete the Bible in one year. But if you think that that is too ambitious, you can do just one chapter a day. But the most important is that you're reading. You know, one thing I I want to do today, church, is really to urge all of you to read this book for yourself. I urge you, please read this Bible. Just read it and know what does it say. Read it over and over and over again. We need to get the Word of God in our mind. We need to be consumed by His Word. Where every time you think, you think like someone from the Bible. And what would He have done? What would Jesus have done? What will have the believer have done all these years? And let that be your thinking. And let that be in your mind. We all need to seek to follow the path of the Berean in our handling of the Word of God. 
Let us ask God to give us the love and eagerness to study God's Word and to test the teaching of all men. Uh, most Christians today don't know the, their Bible. They don't examine them daily or even weekly. They heard things taught and they believe them without even searching the Scriptures. This message today challenges us really to become like a Berean, the normal-mindedness of the Berean Jews. It surely set before us an idea and as a goal for every Christian. And remember, the Christian in Berea only have the Old Testament. We, on another hand, have the whole Bible. What are we doing with it? We should be in the Word daily. Not because it is something that we are supposed to be doing, but because it's something that we are excited to do. Amen? We should have a love for the Word of God that drive us to live daily in the Word of God. Let's get excited about the Word of God. Church, you know, the greatest thing that could happen for many of you today is that you will be serious about this book and start a reading plan. Amen? Let's close our eyes, bow our head. Let's pray. Hallelujah. I sense that the Lord is calling every one of us this morning to make a commitment. A commitment to His Word. To read His Word daily. To read His Word book by book, cover to cover. Hallelujah. Father, we thank You again for the Scripture. And thank you for this gift that you have given to us, the very word of the living God that we hold in our hands. Forgive us, Lord, that we have treated it so lightly. For far too much time goes by when we fail even to read it or think about it or meditate upon it in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, forgive us. And Lord, today we learn that we can be easily deceived if we do not know the truth. Deception is everywhere. So Lord, help us to stand upon your word. That your word will be the final authority in our life. And help us this morning to fall in love with the Bible all over again. To be delighted in your word. Rather than listening to what the word tells us. I pray we will meditate on your scripture day and night. And if we do so, we will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruits in season. We will not wait under the pressure and temptation of this life. Instead, whatever we do will prosper us. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.